Welcome to The Road Back to You. Looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram, I'm Suzanne Stabile. And I'm Ian Crone. And we're so glad that you're listening today. Hey there, welcome to The Road Back to You, and uh, we are, on behalf of myself and my co-host Suzanne Stabile, uh, delighted that you're, you're here with us this week <clears throat> to hear from a friend of mine, a dear friend, a really, really dear friend. In fact, right now, I feel like singing, Kansas City, Kansas mm. City, here I come. My great friend Don Chaffer, singer, songwriter extraordinaire, and... Four on the Enneagram. Don, how are you, man? I'm well. We yeah. are excited that you're here. And Suze, I'm excited you're here as always. Me too. You know, I met Don one cold winter morning in Connecticut. Ooh. It was in Connecticut? It was in Nashville, I think. I think it was in Connecticut. Doesn't was matter. A- I think we shouldn't muse about it here. No, that's fine. All Later. right. Let's make it Connecticut. Let's make it Connecticut. There was frost on the windows. Mm-hmm. There was. Yeah. Don, how you doing, man? I'm well. Are you? I mean, something's missing. <laughs> <laughs> We're already into right, fourness. We, yeah, exactly. We don't know what to do with a four saying, no. I'm well. Yeah, okay. And then you give them another chance to tell yeah, the truth, is, and they okay. say, oh, I'm well again. For oh, sure. You, okay, so this is this is going to be something, Suze, because you, you, you've got two fours. You're working with two fours in the room right mm-hmm. now, and that's that's a lot of stuff lacking, a lot of stuff missing. All over the place. All over the place. Yeah, you know, I just feel so adequate to the task of filling in. <laughs> oh, good. You can you can mollify and mm. and you Maximize. know assuage all mm. of yes, the inner yes. angst yes. and the Sturm und Drang. Drang. <laughs> you even knew that phrase. No. I love that. Yeah, I heard that when they described it. I was like, well, that's everything. <laughs> and then suddenly actually as i was saying that i was going to say everything from like peanuts cartoons to something and then i s- stopped at that point and thought peanuts was he a four Ooh. Earl schultz oh, oh you know, I I there's definitely know. something missing there for charlie brown <laughs> oh man there sure was Suze, we're going to talk about these fours the romantics the or the individualists you want to tell us a little bit about fours before we tell you a lot about fours you know, it'd be very interesting to know what I would say as opposed to if you were going to say four or five things. So here, here are four or five from me. Fours are the most complex number on the Enneagram. In most circumstances, they're focused on what's missing instead of what's present. They add more texture to art and music and food and the world than uh, any other number. And they have a palpable need to be seen followed by a need to be known. And I think all of that could be wrapped up in the fact that authenticity is supreme for them. That's uh, That's that's, a good summary. That's a pretty good summary. And does it indicate anything about my personality type to say that I could rattle off all the responses I had internally and I was mm-hmm. biting my tongue to keep from, you know, interrupting? Yeah, you can interrupt. No, I didn't and need to. I'm does it say saying. anything about my personality type that I was actually looking up a poem by Wendell Berry that I thought would actually perfectly capture that uh-huh. feeling of, of just 
being around peg in a square world. I think it might also sh- say something about our shared deficit of attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to talk about that a little bit myself. Okay. Yeah, it's like you guys need to answer while you're listening. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm paying attention right now, so I should respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Don is a, a remarkable, remarkable songwriter. Uh, and something, I don't know if you know this about, about Don, Suzanne, but he's a composer uh, and of the, some of the most wonderful live theater musicals that ever um, I've seen his shows in Manhattan. I've seen him at the Eugene O'Neill in Connecticut. Really, one of the most talented, created, creative people that I that I know. And like in the words of Emily Dickinson, he sees the world slant. Mm. He sees the world uh, differently. You know, I think as many fours do, mm. from a different angle. They see the world from a from a different angle. You know, Eugene Peterson took that line and wrote the book "Tell It Slant." Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think. Um, one way I would describe it in terms of fours is when I'm talking to some numbers, I feel like there's a front door and a back door. And when I'm talking with fours, I feel like there are lots of doors and windows and there are so many ways into a conversation. However, it's very difficult to get out because a conversation never seems to be over with a four. Mm. So about once every, I don't know, six weeks when I'm back in Connecticut and if I have been isolated for a few days, I, I, I Skype with Don. Right. <laughs> that can go for a while. That can go for a really long imagine. time, especially depending on what space we're in. Uh, it can go a really, really long time. I'm reminded of a friend of ours who um, uh, one time I <laughs> trapped him at night, you know, I was staying yeah. with him and the conversation went on and on and I, I sensed somewhere along the way that this was going on and on and maybe so the next day I said hey you know sorry if that went a little long and he said yeah that was a beat down (laughs) (laughs) we once well we won't even tell you the number of conversations that we've had that like like sitting in the Home Depot parking lot where we went out to get something (laughs) you remember that we went went to the Home Depot to get something we ended up in the parking lot for like three hours (laughs) and wandering the aisles for a long time going past the same place for a long long time so before we go very far uh, you were talking about um the accomplishments that are associated with your gifts and Mm -hmm. your name. Um, I can easily see the upside to that. What's Mm -hmm. the downside? To having accomplishments? To those particular um, kinds of accomplishments, things that are out there that you can't get back, that are going to be there over and over and over. I don't know that I care about that. I I mean, what I care about is the fact that none of them equaled what I hoped they would. So I I don't very often think to myself, oh, I wish I could unsay that. Yeah. But I think I wish that had been more transcendent in the way that I imagined it, or I wish that that something's missing. I mean, I don't want to overplay that card. I can find a lot of different ways to say that too, by the way, if you want. Transcendent's really good. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I feel like the, I never... You know, it's the old songwriter that what's your favorite song? It's the most recent one. Yeah. But that's, I was having a conversation with a a songwriting friend of mine recently who's very much not this way. He's a two, but he's also, he's got a strong three wing and he's real regimented in the way that he approaches music making. And I'm very much not. And we described the fact that a big part of what I'm looking for and this other friend of ours that's also a four was the part of the reason I don't stick to what's planned is because I need or want that the spontaneous, like, 
eruption of emotion or blooming of mm -hmm. some sort of emotional experience, which is also the reason that when I've, I've gotten into theater in the last 10 years probably, and I've done a few shows where it was where I was in them and then had to repeat it over and over. And I mean, it starts, it's like, that's one of the most depressing things right. I right. can imagine. Right. Over and over is just, it's like, let's do something new now. It's, it's not just like, let's do something new now. It's like, why do we exist on this planet? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, <no. laughs> it is, it is. That's a very poor question right there. Yeah, deep existential. Why like, am I here? What is and what the does point? It mean? I thought this meant something when I started right. this. And I think I'll no. go backstage and read the French translation of Sartre's. <laughs> no existential. So this is the weirdest thing for me because I'm older than you guys. And be while we were taking a break before the show, you were both playing a little bit of Bob Dylan music, and I was kind of back in the day in the 60s. And um, I, and now you're saying, what does it mean, and why are we here? And, you know, I graduated from high school in 1969. Those were the foundational questions of my life. Yeah, yeah. and we're not even stoned. Yeah, right. nor was I. Okay, sure. They were so. What do you mean by? <laughs> Would you say so? Or you didn't inhale. At any rate, <clears throat> we all agreed the, with that answer yeah. when we were there. <laughs> I got no. I got no excuse for that answer. Right. The. Uh, I will say that I never did drugs, but I was free. It was frequently assumed that I had done a great number. Yeah. So. I, yeah. And um, I would say that I never did drugs. But I pretended to, so everybody would want me to be at the party. <laughs> really? That's the truth. Actually. I have I have seen you though with a bottle of tequila. Oh, I shouldn't tell that story. <laughs> why aren't you Why aren't you shaking your head at me like that? You can tell whatever story you want to. Really? Yeah. Just, Go just for it. Um. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Just remember. But let me put it this way: you can be the life of the party, Suzanne. I can, with help or without. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. Indeed. As opposed to, I mean, well, yeah. As a four, I would say that there's definitely the the uh, there's a life of the party option, but uh, more more often it's the let's bring things down a little bit right now. Yeah, let's kind talk of. about that for a second. Yeah, <laughs> or as my uh, that same friend that said that was a beat down, he used to say one time we were discussing some song. I go, yeah, I like it. Okay, I mean, I I kind of like things that are more. And he goes, wrapped in barbed wire. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, as a matter of fact. So, yeah, I mean, fours are so comfortable with sad stories, sad songs, tragic stories, right? Uh, mm -hmm. as, uh, I think it was you one time in a parking lot said that I should teach anguish as a second language. <laughs> I didn't, but that's was such it? a good line. I thought, uh, yeah. I thought it was you for some yeah. reason. I wanted to believe it was I'm, you. It's me. Okay, there you go. Do you guys just meet up in parking lots because <laughs> that's a good place for you to exchange stories or what? It, it kind of is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, it gives us the impression that we're... It gives us an excuse, let's put it that way, to talk as long as we do while supposedly getting something done. Yeah. Got it. it. Double whammy. Got it, got it, got it. So tragic stories, sad stories. Uh -huh. um, there's, for many people, uh, this is a confusing thing for them about fours than the whole matter of melancholy, mm -hmm. that there's a melancholic personality. Or can you tell me about that in your experience? So, like, how does melancholy work in your... Yeah, you know, one of the things that I, for me at least, that's peculiar, there's, um, I heard Robert Bly, the poet one time, talk about the difference between depression and creative inspiration or the place from which poetry comes. And he said, depression, he said, it's an, it's an underground place. There, it's, it's, you know, with a stream and it's humid and full of sort of virility. And, and he said, 
depression is the thing that drags you there. Inspiration is the thing that happens when you choose to go there. And for me, I will say that the melancholy piece of a, for my life at least, and you'll notice these qualifying things, I think has got to be common to Forrest, right? Mm. The tendency not to think that everybody's the same. Right. And at the same to time, everybody's exactly the same in terms of like, don't we all think that though? Mm-hmm. <laughs> really deep down. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, for me, the melancholy isn't always, there's a sweetness to it. And so mm-hmm. sometimes I'm totally comfortable pondering desperate situations. Um, and it could be misunderstood as, becoming sad it often leads to becoming sad right but it doesn't always and a lot of times it's just nice to connect at a deep level with people and ideas and emotions and then move on Mm -hmm. in fact i've i've kind of discovered even in the last year that the idea of having time alone to marinate in some of those things is one of the most restorative things for me without being maudlin or or self-absorbed, but just spending time in the presence of even not my, it doesn't have to be my own thoughts and emotions, but just the thoughts and emotions of depth or suffering or difficulty or, you know, I love the Psalms and always have for the reason. And even the Old Testament stories where they get really bizarre and tragic. And I was always drawn naturally to those things as opposed to the Pauline epistles where it's like, you know, let's go storm the, the castle. That's right. right. <laughs> well, certainly by the rules, that part yeah. was always challenging. So You know, I think every number has a responsibility culturally, mm. re, it, depending, of course, on the culture they're in. And I think one of the responsibilities that fours have in uh, Western culture is, in fact, to remind us all of the authenticity of the dark side mm. and of the gifts that are there. And I think one of the reasons people kind of want to write you off as melancholy or maudlin or depressed or oh, too much. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons people do that is because you engage with a part of them that they're hiding from. Mm. I, I definitely yeah. seen that. Yeah. And I think the funny thing is, you know, <clears throat> as you say that, one of the thoughts that occurs to me is that I, it's really... I think the feeling maybe for other people, the way that they experience this tendency is that it is, it's beckoning them into chaos and it's totally the opposite for the four. They feel like once we have admitted that all of these things are up in the air, that death is imminent, that great disappointment happens everywhere. Once we admit all those things, now, now we're, it's what C.S. Lewis said. Now we can have the fun of those who have taken each other seriously at the outset. So for me, it's just a let's just level the playing field, admit mm-hmm. that there are a lot of unknowns, that things are that things tend toward tragic, and mm-hmm. now the chaos is lessened. But I think other people experience it exactly the opposite. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. know, I was going to say that I I think that what often happens is for fours is well when they're not very self aware and they're with people and they're uh, in the space of talking deeply mm-hmm. about some of these issues about. Um, about death, about, about meaning, about, uh, uh, and we're so um, expressive, you know, mm-hmm. we're very intense, you know, yeah. and so people can be a little bit like, oh my gosh, I mean, you know, there's a lot of feeling and uh-huh. intensity coming at me. You, you know, we're quite comfortable in that space of not realizing that we are, you know, sending people into the spiral right. of the, or the vortex of what might be scary emotions or... Uh, yeah. of, of an intensity and then and then we walk away feeling 
right? This is the dog. This is the tail chasing the dog, right? And vice versa. It's it's, it's that thing. Oh, wait a minute, because you and because we're feelers, we sense that mm-hmm. we have we have put them off right. and or scared them, and then we leave feeling saying, "Gosh, there really is something missing in me. I'm crazy, or there's something weird about me." Totally. And then let me just add one more layer to that, which is speaking of complexity, that I had this thing recently where we were at a school meeting and they described my daughter had said she was bored by math because they were reviewing, which happens at the beginning of the year. That's fine. So then the math teacher says, we really, in this public, I'm talking 200 parents there. Mm -hmm. We really don't cover any new material this year. We're just reviewing stuff and shoring up that before we head into the pre-algebra, whatever. Later I found out what he meant was that conceptually there's not new ground broken, but they do increase the complexity, which if that had been explained to me in a clearer way, I would have been satisfied by it. <laughs> well, so then the internal conversation starts. Do I raise my hand? Do I not? Am I showing off if I raise my hand? I know people are aware of this. And mm-hmm. then I start thinking through this thing. And by the time this, the question comes out, I did raise my hand. And I said, so if our children are seeming bored at this point, and there's no plan to cover new material, do you have any propositions for how we can fend off the ravaging boredom they're <laughs> bound to experience? I literally, and I don't remember what exactly I said, but it was like, I finished the thing and my wife looked at me and I looked at her like, oh, oops. <laughs> hold on a second, hold on, because there's another story I'm going to make you tell. Okay. okay. You got to tell the story of the talent show in high school. <laughs> right. <laughs> Please tell so, Okay. So the threshold of pain, first, this requires a scientific <laughs> definition, is the point at which sound becomes so in, loud, it becomes painful. 104 dB or something like this. So um, I was really gaining a social conscience at this point it, it, well, in terms of... You were in high school, Yes, right? yeah. sophomore in high school. And, um, and was just starting... I discovered Dylan recently and mm-hmm. started playing the guitar, and so I was writing songs. So I had written this song called The Threshold of Pain. Have you ever listened when it hurts to listen? Have you ever listened to The Threshold of Pain? And I mean, this uh, is so for, so I mean, this is... Oh. I get up and sing this thing, and the English teacher that was overseeing it said <laughs> the conclusion. Just belted it out there, right? With the German exchange student playing piano. And um, she says, well... I guess we didn't expect, expect something quite that heavy, but good job. <laughs> so, yeah. But what was so great is, was the, wasn't it following the girl who did the thing with the batons? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> it's, you know, just it, was, it was a moment of contrast, no matter who I followed. Let's put it that way. Because that was also, I think it would have been the, the next year that I managed to get a school-wide assembly mourning the death of Yusuf Hawkins, who was this African-American kid killed in Bensonhurst. This is in Olathe, Kansas, let me clarify. We had three black kids in the whole school. But I got a school-wide, and then I sang my Goodbye Yusuf Hawkins song that I wrote for the crowd. I'm so glad that you have uh, good music (laughs) in big places now because it it didn't sound like a propitious beginning. No, there was definitely... Yeah, it was hard to fit in, you know. So, so because, <laughs> well, it does seem to me that for you know fours, they you know that's the that the that's the great irony, right? Is that we we both want to belong, we want to fit in. That's the desperate 
kind of feeling of the nose pressed against the glass. Mm. We want to get into the party. And yet, the last thing we want to do is be ordinary mm. or get into the party looking like everybody else. Right, exactly. Like, the- I, for example, I was a conscientious objector to pep assemblies in high school. I convinced an English teacher that if I wrote an essay on why I objected to them conceptually, that she would let me stay in the English class alone when I had pep assembly. And? I did. That was a very compelling argument. So, um, is it true with your nose pressed against the glass when you want to get in and you have this song that you've just written that you kind of, uh, because you are suddenly socially conscious mm-hmm. that you have this song and you think this is going to do it <laughs> do you think that you think okay this mm. is it yes okay sadly yes yeah i mean especially when you're young the older you get the more it, it's like the the school meeting where i mm-hmm. played it out a couple different ways mm-hmm. and you know sometimes i succeed in either not saying anything or saying yeah. something more diplomatic but right. so you know it's a roll of the dice on how it comes out mm-hmm. but the point is Especially when you're young and in full flight, right, with no uh, governors on right. the personality. It's right. definitely, you keep thinking over and over, it's going to work this time. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to love me. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah you know, because when other numbers try really hard, they also end up behaving badly in their own number. But when they behave badly in their number, it's not quite as noticeable no. as when you guys do. Yeah. No, I, I have... Shared stores with Don, but, but, you know... Uh, in parking lots, no doubt. <laughs> no, in, in parking lots to, that are not dissimilar to uh, to his. I mean, there, where there was a real need to... Um, oh, gosh. To want to fit, to really want to belong, um, but at the same time, a fear of it. You know, you tell the story so, really so beautifully about... Going to school dressed up, right? Yeah. And what? Remember what your mom said to you? Yeah, I was right? just thinking about that. Yeah, tell, tell us that. So story, I would wear first great. of all like my dad's flight suit from the Air Force and a purple bandana and chemistry this safety is to goggles. School. Yeah, this this is to what school. you're wearing. Yeah. In school. What grade? What grade is it? Sophomore, junior year. This, those were big years for you, Three, weren't they? Yeah, you were they really, were, you were really florid in yeah. your foreignness. <laughs> florid. <laughs> yes. Oh, I so thought you were going to say seventh grade right after I heard my dad's flight suit. No, no. I, I think it took. I think it was around ninth grade that I really, and we had a move in there. We moved, I was doing pretty well. I was like pretty popular in seventh grade. We moved in the eighth grade and man, I tell you what, it just went to some pretty bizarre choices at a social level. So So tell the whole story, every detail. I love this story. Okay. Well, I mean, I had the, the, that was one of my outfits was the, and I forgot the split toed Tabi, the Japanese, Mm -hmm. you know, shoes Mm -hmm. that... I'd wear those with the flight suit and chemistry safety goggles and the purple bandana. And then I also had like a seersucker blue and white jacket with the sleeves rolled up and a white shirt with a red bow tie and pink pants. That was another great That's one. That's actually very stylish right now. Yeah, well, right? Yeah, it was kind of, kind of a dandy. And uh, But it was out of step, let's put it that way. Um, and I carried a, I drove a 1978 Honda Express 2 yellow moped with the muffler falling off so my friend Kristen could hear me drive to school from two blocks away and I wore a red dot brand helmet with the black smoke card guard and then two sucker darts stuck on the top. That made can, me look- can I just repeat that? Two sucker darts stuck to the top. Yes. Yeah, in retrospect, a metaphor for the alien nature. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I had a milk crate bungee to the back that I could put my giant 
purchased in Tijuana Samsonite briefcase <laughs> that I would sometimes enter. We had one of those like wagon wheel things. So you'd have the different halls that fed into the center. And I would slide the briefcase into the center on my way in and it would like hit people. <laughs> Wonder. Anyway, first one to brandish a yo-yo. Had it taken away from me by that one jerk teacher down the... So here's how I too, here's this story. Mm-hmm. I've heard it before, but here's how I heard it today. Before I was just thoroughly entertained and couldn't <laughs> think or function. But today my tune is clicked in and when you said... Without a muffler, so my friend Kristen, who lived two blocks away, could hear me going to school. I thought to myself, "Oh, thank God, he had a friend." <laughs> <laughs> oh my! So my mother said to me, yeah. "This was the point." Um, some of this you have to blame on the ADD. Anyway, um, my mother said to me, "Do you think maybe you're dressing up this way because you're afraid people will reject you, and so you're coming up with a visible, blamable reason?" to be rejected. And I was offended and said no. And I will say this about the pain thing. One thing that I've learned from the Enneagram is I always felt and operated as if you want to go toe-to-toe with me emotionally, I'll bottom you out. Like that's a, it was a coping mechanism. Right. I would just like, I could tell someone was coming at me and they were going to confront me or something on something that was real and emotional. I would just confess something that would blow them away. Yeah. And then it would sort of like short circuit them. Sure. And then they couldn't keep step. The thing that I learned about the Enneagram, especially, I think it was in the, one of the conferences, this idea that the, really the pain you're avoiding is the other, you use pain to mask pain. Right. I, I didn't know that for a long time. Right. And that's been one of the most helpful things for me to realize is not to let myself be satisfied with feeling surface pain because that's a distraction. Mm-hmm. If, but if there's something that I really legitimately don't want to face, that's probably the real issue. Yeah, I think for, I, I identify with that. Yeah. A lot of times with me, I, I'll, I'll, if I feel something deeply, if I feel uh, some uh, uh, afflictive emotion of some kind, mm-hmm. I'll, um, I'll stop and ask myself, what's really going on here? Mm. You know, like, okay, that's, okay, that's, that's, that's one feeling, but is there, is it really, What's really happening? My mother was right, for example. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, that yeah. really was what's was happening. Right. Yeah. yeah. So okay. Well, speaking of, uh, you know, uh, giving expression, right? Mm-hmm. Because as you know, fours have so many feelings, right? We're mm-hmm. we're kind of known for that. That we are awash. In fact, we would say uh, some people have feelings, and fours would say we are our feelings. Yeah. And so when we kind of run out of ways to express them. We have to find another mechanism, and that's why so many fours are artists. Because feelings, once language fails, we got to find another way to let them out. And we want to let, we want to have our folks benefit from hearing you play. Sure, play some songs uh, or a song for us. What? What? We is there one that's kind of fourish that you could kind of? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's all of which them, hundred? as I said. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. Which thousand are? would you like to hear? Yeah. The very first song I wrote was, uh, Father, it's so hard to speak to the ones you love about the things you know. <laughs> oh, no. That was the opener, opening salvo. 
I'm, wow. I'm going to sing better here in a minute for those of you that might be <clears throat> tuning out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but again, just to, say, just to say, I mean, just like, <laughs> you talk about that that hunger to be understood. Yeah, and and you know, but people don't understand about what you were saying earlier about Forrest is that what you know we do we talk and we get going and it's very hard for us to stop. And part of that is is the anxiety about do you understand yet? Right. I, I'm just going to keep talking until I sense maybe you understand what I'm feeling or thinking. But I can't stop until I know for sure yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You, there's a poem by Bob Dylan called Last Thoughts on Woody Guthrie, and he has this one line. He says, you yell to yourself and you throw down your hat saying, Christ, do I got to be like that? Ain't there no one here who knows uh, how I feel? Good God Almighty, that stuff ain't real. Mm. I That that little chunk is mm-hmm. probably like the Jesus prayer to me. It's like I recite that in my head. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like it's the like, Jesus prayer. <laughs> it's like over and over. And is it working? It's a, is it yeah, effective? You know what? It actually does. I would think it would. Yeah, because it feels like, okay, I'm not alone. Yeah. This is, it's all right. It's just, a f- and the other thing you said, we are our feelings. That was one of the other things that you covered in that thing I went to, whatever that was called. Um, seminar? Yeah, yeah, whatever. You can uh, call it anything you want that, to as long as you are brilliant. Our, yeah. <laughs> we aren't our feelings. That it's not actually, you, you aren't, you're a person who has feelings, no matter how large and intense they feel. I've even talked to other numbers, so to speak, that say, how do you deal with when you have these really intense things? And I said, man, at a certain point, you just, I kind of imagine myself closing my eyes and just feeling the like blow dryer of the feeling pressing against me and try to just stand still and wait because eventually it's not going to be that strong right that's that jack cornfield quote no emotion is final Uh. yeah yeah i love that you know one of the things about you guys that i um that i think is really important and that is that i understand your desire to be known and to belong everybody wants to belong and yet it, it's almost like what you would have to give up to belong would be yourself. It's like there's mm. the, the chasm between kind of wanting to be like other people as a sophomore in high school mm-hmm. and the commitment to, but there's so much missing in you. You know, I think you all see missing pieces in other people too, mm-hmm. not just in yourself. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> just ask my wife. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I just, that doesn't get talked about much. So I'd like to hear both of you say, if you could, if you could give advice to three people, three pieces of advice to all the other numbers about what they could do to, to be a little more in touch with a full range of emotion, what would you say? Uh. Now you're talking about people that, you're talking about people that, uh, it just exists in a normal range yes. of emotion, yeah. which we don't have any familiarity right, with, but right, okay. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, Both well, historically well, and internally. Yes. What, what would you say? Uh, the question again was how to deal with the full range of emotion. So you know that I'm kind of upbeat and happy yeah. and, and I, I at least touch four, but what would you say to a seven? What would you say to a five who has it pretty much wrapped up? What would you say to an eight? What would you say about how you see huh. and experience the world as a gift to them? I think, you know, I suddenly thought there was one to quote Bob Dylan, who's like the patron saint of fours. He said, uh, they were asking him, what are your songs about? You know, and he's doing all his obtuse stuff. And then at some point he gets frustrated. He goes, all I've ever tried to say in any of my songs is it's all right. And um, 
or it's mm, going to be all right. And so I, I think I would say that. I would say it's really going to be okay. It, like you pick, perfect example, my wife and I had our wedding. This thing occurred where it was a, during the wedding, there was this unexpected event. We had asked not to have any of our songs and the pastor sneaked one in, mm. you know, and it was like, she looked at me and thought I had approved it. And so we took our vows with this argument brewing and we went down and I said, um, we t- I said, I didn't know. And she was upset. I said, hon, there are worse storms than these. Yeah. And I think that we've re- re- quoted that to each that's other, good. you know, a lot, but I think that's, it's, and really kind of ironically, anything you can think of, there's worse. Um, it's not a spectrum. <laughs> Sadly, that ends. It's kind of, there's an infinite human suffering and it's okay. There's, there can still be hope and redemption and good things. Mm. That's really rich. So we did meet in Nashville. Yeah. You're right. But here's why I said Connecticut. Because of the frost, it felt frosty. No, it felt warm and great, but Mm. I think I'd like to be just a snowden in Connecticut. And uh, sit at your feet and listen to you talk about music and foreignness and the side of life that the culture is so afraid of. Don't you think you'd get a little uncomfortable sitting at, like at my feet? I don't know what size shoes you wear. <laughs> okay, let's go to a song. <laughs> uh, Don, let's uh, let's get us a song okay. by you. Uh, okay. How about one about my shoe size? Just kidding. Uh, this is. Um, <laughs> This is a song called Shouldn't Have Walked Away. And I <clears throat> I find that I go through these times where I'm writing songs that are, uh, I mean, it's clear what they're about, but I don't know why. And this one was sort of a breakup song that I wrote when everything was going fine. <laughs> and then I realized later that it was sort of about some part of myself that I missed, that I felt like there was some younger, more adventurous self um, that had disappeared somewhere along the way. And so this is called Shouldn't Have Walked Away. She says she walks among great queens and kings She says she knows how the cage bird sings She says she doesn't need anything And I should leave if I mind So I put my hands in my pockets and I walked away real slow I put my hands in my pockets because, well, you know I didn't want to touch anything at the scene of the crime But I shouldn't have walked away I shouldn't have walked away They say your first love, it leaves a mark or a scar That you could set out at night by the light of the stars you will carry that sadness with you the whole way now we're sailing up high over city hall and i pulled on the ripcord and i started to fall oh i hope to slow down but it was too late But I shouldn't have walked away I shouldn't have walked away 
you could still make her out back before the light of the world went out you could still see her taking chances and dancing wild and free oh but now out in front the battle lines are drawn and the gray light of the war will just get darker at dawn and she's a sweet thing to think of but man she's just a memory and i shouldn't have walked away i shouldn't have walked away I've been too long just turning in their washing machines I leave tonight by the moon and the, the roar of the sea And I don't care if I'm gone until my body gives out I don't care if I die full of worry and doubt I will find her, I swear, she's still out there waiting for me Well, I mean, that's um, you know, isn't that the isn't that what, what in some ways in in kind of what four a four would want, right? Is to is is for a room to be brought to silence. Totally, yep. And then to be told that you like them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there are a few ways to tell a four that you like them, but then to be brought to that sort of awe, reverent, yeah, absolutely, yeah. kind of uh, silence. Yeah. Don't you just know that speaks to everybody? I would love to know what other people thought about when they heard that song. So I, here's what I was thinking about. Mm -hmm. uh, I was adopted. Mm -hmm. um, I never knew my mother, and she gave me up for adoption at birth. And somebody years later gave me a book called The Girls Who Went Away. Mm. And it was about all of the women in the 60s, late 50s and 60s, who gave up babies for adoption and why they did. Mm. And this would be such a healing song for every one of those 100 women who contributed to that book. Mm because they know they lost something. Mm. And <clears throat> it seems to me we've all walked away from something mm. that holds for us still in that place something we need to be whole. Mm. So I'm all about it. I'd really like to have the lyrics. It's one of the best things I've ever heard oh, in terms of a life story that fits everybody. Mm. It's interesting. You know, it makes me... As you're talking about that, it makes me think about your question of what would you say to advise people. I think a lot of times people feel comfortable accessing these sorts of feelings when it's an experience that's foreign to them. In other words, or when they can quarantine it. So if it's a breakup song, oh, well, I'm not breaking up right now, so I can enjoy the emotion of this and not have to go there, as it were. Mm -hmm. And I would say that's fine, too. Like yeah. I think, I yeah. think that's one of my other bits of advice: is go ahead and enjoy the emotions as they are. At some point, it might be good to look at what what it connects to. But and you can I always think start that way. Back to what Susan was saying earlier about you know each never has a cultural kind of task, if you will, or contribution. And I think one of the things that artists and fours do is 
we uh, offer to people the opportunity to rent or lease mm. our feelings for three and a half minutes or four mm. minutes and be able to to connect. And you, you, it's hard for, I think, for folks to understand that like when, when we make that kind of connection to another human heart, like when, when, when that feeling of sadness and loneliness or regret or loss mm. is ringing at the center of your chest, and we know that it's sympathetically now ringing in your chest in the moment while we're singing it or performing it mm-hmm. or whatever, that's what we live for. Yeah, totally. Right. I mean, that moment, because that's when we feel understood. Yeah. yeah. And in a way that we could never have been understood in all the hours of conversation we'd have with you in the parking lot. And I yeah. think it has a universal value. So that's why I said I'd like to talk to 100 people mm-hmm. who heard that. Maybe people can email us and let us know what they thought of when they heard that song. Mm. Because it has a universal quality because we've all walked away from something. And you guys, uh, fours, all of you, m- men and women, are able to articulate that in the way the Enneagram articulates our differences for us. Mm. And our theme song was uh, written by your sweet wife, Lori. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of have y'all with us in the air every time Mm. we do a show. That's right. And she's a five. Don, we got to wrap up, but I want to ask if you would, would, wouldn't mind wrapping up with a story since we've, we've had, this has been such a story-rich time. And by the way, I have to say what's ironic is we've done a, a lot of shows. This may have been the funniest show we've ever done, and we did it with fours. <laughs> yeah, I think we need to mark that. This is something yeah. that needs to be examined and yes. discussed at some point down the road. I think so, too. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't like with sevens, right? It was just, well, here we are with fours, we're just laughing our heads yeah. off about... Oh, that's fascinating. I'm fascinated. Is that because the sevens are fascinated by the darker side of things as well, and they maybe go away from the enthusiasm when they're in a? I don't don't know. I have a seven son, and scratch that, reverse it. Yeah. Well, sometimes anyway. with sevens, it's just that they're so entertained by their own stuff, they don't need us to be. <laughs> That's right. There's actually truth no one has to, that. to actually find it funny. If you, if you really, if you give them one of those little paddles with the ball attached to it with a string and put them in a room for by themselves for hours, come back. They're just as happy as when you left four days before. Yeah, their question know? when they finish the song isn't "Do you like me?" It's "Wasn't that great?" No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, then you get to the end of the song like that and they burp. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like a little too intense in here. You know. Yeah. Um, you have a, one of my favorite stories about fours and uh because it captures something real important and it's the moment uh for you maybe a moment of of many conversions mm-hmm. um when when you did feel understood at, at a season in life probably around the time that many of these other stories took place right right um it was sophomore slash junior year yeah, yeah those are most eventful years and um yeah, can you tell that story? Sure, yeah. You're talking about the ski trip. And yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. So I, um, but at that point, I remember coming to this conclusion that there was no way to communicate with other people. <laughs> By which I mean, no matter what I say, you look at the language, you look at the way it's heard and decoded and what your life experience is and what mine is. It's like, you understand me, but not really. You don't really know what is behind what I'm saying and how I feel about it. And so it started to encroach on my emotional life. This is where the mel- this is where the d- depression's pulling you down there. You're not choosing to go there. And I just kept feeling more and more isolated and alone. And um, I had had faith as a kid, um, a Christian faith. And, but the, I had told my brother who was also in faith, I said, I got enough to deal with puberty. So I'm just taking a break from God for a while. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, 
we, I was on this youth group. We still, our family went to church and we were on a youth group ski trip and the bus broke down and they were taking van loads of kids. We were only 20 or 30 minutes away up. And so I was content to sit there. We were perched on the edge of a, you know, mountain. And I dug out a Bible, which I hadn't read in a while and randomly opened it. And it was Psalm 139. It says, Oh Lord, my God, you've searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down, you know, when I rise up, you understand my thoughts from afar. And that was the, definitely the one line where I was, I, I thought, whoa, this is the kind of knowing I've been talking about as impossible. And it, there's, how can you ever be assured? But all of a sudden it occurred to me, well, of course, if God is God and he's created people, then it's, this is the same, you knit me together in my inward parts, mm-hmm. you know, fearfully and wonderfully made. So I suddenly realized, oh, I, I am known and that's enough. That was like a, there was like a click that I felt where I was like, that will, that's satisfactory. Is It's not perfect. It doesn't mean all mm-hmm. of life is perfect, but it does mean that's, I'm enough known, you know? So, uh, and then my life really did change after that point. And uh, of course I took it very seriously and insisted that the boys Bible studies would stop playing basketball sooner so we could get to studying the scriptures for real. Cause this is important stuff. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. there, there, therein, you know, even Christianity was a, a place where you could sabotage your own feeling of belonging. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. that's> right. <laughs> Absolutely. With no help from anybody Without else. Without any help right. from anybody that's, else. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Don, um, can I say one more thing? Okay. Yeah. I think the Enneagram uh, gets through the first two or three layers for every number so that people can be known. It's like the things that you don't get, the Enneagram explains, and then they're kind of out of the way. And then we're at a level where we really all maybe can know each other. Yeah. And I'm really grateful for that. And I'm grateful to you, my friend, my brother. Thanks, man. We got we to gotta, we gotta find us a parking lot mm-hmm. pretty soon and sit out there and... Wander you know, the aisles of Home Depot aimlessly. Uh, wander the, we can. We can wander <laughs> that... that yeah, and you and I can pine that we never had a father who walked us around those those. Aisles. I would know how to use this power tool if it weren't for my dad. Yeah, if I hadn't had such a crappy childhood. What if I had had a really good father will, and he had taught me I how to use say, a chainsaw? We met each other and within 20 minutes had told each other this much about our lives. Like we, we went straight to alcoholic, yeah, military, yeah, suicide, yep, okay. <laughs> you know what? Those are all true things when I'm yeah, looking right. at it. Yeah, right. <laughs> for those of you wondering if we're exaggerating right. what we're talking about, nope, nope, that's right on yeah. the money. <laughs> I find it fascinating that you pick Home Depot. Yeah, well, that was. Is it because nothing there distracts you because you don't understand? No, but it? now it's... that you've mentioned it, a thing, a thought just went through my head that is actually a great name for a song. <laughs> Home Depot. Just... We've got to write that song. Just Home Depot. Yeah, we're talking about Home Depot. I mean, mm-hmm. mm. all right. Hey, man, thanks. We are definitely going to have you again. We're going to have you back with Lori. What's the website? www.waterdeep.com. For some of the greatest music ever. Yeah. And um, and that song was on our newest record, which is the self-titled double album. All right. Thanks for being here. Suze, we're going to be in Chicago, aren't we? We are. Uh, you know, Why Christian is sold out. But on September the 29th, we're doing the pre-conference, and it's an all-day Enneagram day with you and me, and there's still room. People can sign up on our website, www.theroadbacktou.com, first tab under events. If I may, you may think you know enough about the Enneagram, but you probably don't, and you should go to one of these. That's what happened to me, transformed. 
Go on. <laughs> we are, want to let you know also about our book, The Road Back to You, an Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery. You can get it at uh, Amazon.com or at Barnes & Noble. It launches on October 4th, but if you come to our Enneagram conference, you'll get it there in advance of everybody else to be the cool kid in town. That's right. Bye. You've been listening to The Road Back to You, looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram, produced by Jim Chafee, and our engineer is Brad Bass. The theme music today is provided by the band Waterdeep. That's my band from our album Moment, written by Lori Chaffer, but I am still a special snowflake. <laughs> Please visit our website, www.theroadbacktoyou.com, for news, more podcasts, and a list of our public appearances around the country. And, my good friends, you can pre-order our book, The Road Back to You, and Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Be sure and join us next week. We have uh, young ones who are married to each other. They have two children, so we'll be with our friends, Christopher and Amanda Phillips. <laughs>